Good morning, French Church. Oh, y'all say good morning to each other, but not me. Woo, feel the heat. It's lonely up here. My goodness. Well, Happy New Year, you guys. It's good to be back with you. Uh, like Chancellor and Hannah, Taylor and I got the opportunity to take a little break from ministry, and we went and visited family, uh, not in such a miserable place as North Dakota, uh, but we went to Texas to visit Taylor's family and spend some time up there. Uh, and so I hope that, like us, I hope that over the last week or two that you were able to get some time with your family, that you're able to get some time gathered around with people that you love that just kind of breathe life into you. And I hope that it was refreshing. I hope that you're coming this new year ready for what God has in store uh, and all of that good stuff. It was a treat for me uh, on a side note. We were supposed to go to her family's church at their little town in Texas, but I guess it's a thing out there where on the Sunday after Christmas, uh, a lot of the small town churches, they just don't have service. They just don't meet. And so we had the opportunity uh, where to go into Dallas, and uh, there's a church there that uh, I listen to their podcast every week. And so it was a special kind of treat or privilege for me to be able to go and to see in person and to worship with that group of people up there, uh, knowing that they speak so much into my life even halfway across the country. Uh, and yet one of the things that Taylor and I noticed Afterwards, I mean, it was an amazing church. It was great. Uh, a little bit bigger than us. There are about like 1,500 people in service. Uh, so <laughs> it was slightly different culture for us. Uh, and yet it was just uh, great worship, theologically sound. The message was great. It was a wonderful environment to worship in when we're away from home. And yet both Taylor and I, as we kind of left that service, we were feeling great. And yet there was something, a part of us that was like, man, like we miss our home. You know, we're missing out on what's going on back here. And so all I have to say, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in worship this morning. And I hope that you guys are excited. Let's pull out scripture and join me in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look, start in verse 24. As you're turning there, uh, show of hands, how many of you were alive when the original Star Wars came out? Where you at, boomers? Throw it up. There we go. 1977, I was negative 11 years. It was a sweet, <laughs> sweet time in life. Uh, and Star Wars came out. So while we were on vacation, I took the boys. My boys are six and five. And I kind of rolled the dice, and we took them to see the new Star Wars movie with uh, all the men in Taylor's family. And I was kind of like praying on the way there, like, Lord, please don't let anybody get cut in half by a lightsaber. Like, let it be one of those mild Disney movies. And it was great. The boys loved it. They loved watching the stories. A little too much because Carson was asking me every five seconds, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Are they good guys or bad guys? I'm like, man, if they're wearing black, they're bad. It was, it was a nightmare. But they loved it. And here's the thing. Think back to all y'all who had your hands up, who were there in 1977. All right, maybe you haven't seen that original movie since 1977. Maybe it's been a long time. But I got a feeling that if I asked you, you'd be able to tell me the characters. You'd be able to tell me the storyline, generally speaking. You'd be able to tell me, like, the climactic battle. You'd be able to tell me how it was resolved and maybe even spill into the rest of the Star Wars trilogies, even though it's been so long since you've seen it. And yet, maybe in 1977, maybe you were in high school, 
maybe you were taking a college course or something. If I were to ask you, tell me about one of your classes from 1977. How many of you would feel so confident to walk me through the curriculum of what you learned in class in 1977? Right, Marty, okay, kudos. The rest of you guys would be scratching your heads. Why? What is it about these movies that's timeless, that, that makes it so that you remember it so long after? And the thing is that it's storytelling. Star Wars and movies like it tell stories in such a creative and imaginative way that it just captures our minds, and it sticks with us. And that's what great storytelling does. And so we're starting today in the first week of our new series. Like the sermon bumper video was showing us, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. We're not going to be able to cover all of them. But what we're going to be doing is looking at the stories that Jesus told to communicate truth. Whether it was truth about who God is, who we are, theological truth about how we relate to God, how we relate to his kingdom, what his kingdom is like. Jesus often taught in stories, and it's not just because of no reason. Jesus knew that stories stick with us, that we remember those things, and so he was able to take theological truth, wind it into a creative story in such a way that we still tell these stories today, and we still communicate the truth of who God is through these parables. And so that's what brings us to Matthew chapter 7. Let's tune in. And we're going to look at just a few verses in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you for the gift of your people. And Lord, we also thank you for the gift of your word. And right now as we, with your people together, uh, engage with you in your word, I pray that your spirit would do a work in our hearts that you, through the power of the way that you tell story, that you would speak to us, that you would communicate to us this morning the profound theological truth of what we build our lives upon. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would stir up in us a desire for obedience, a desire for faithfulness, and a hunger for righteousness. And I pray that as we do that, as we engage with you in your word, Lord, I pray above everything else that you'd be glorified this morning, in us and among us. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we pray these things in your name. And all God's people say, amen. So Matthew chapter 7, the, the first parable that we're kind of tipping our toes into this morning, uh, it comes, to understand it fully, what Jesus is saying is, it comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. All right, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is a kind of an extended series of teaching that Jesus gives, and we call it a sermon, but it's a collection of his teachings here. And in this Sermon on the Mount, what he's accomplishing is many things, but really the primary purpose is this. He's communicating to people 
what does it look like to live in the kingdom of heaven? What does it look like to be a citizen of heaven here and now, to, to live out the heavenly reality here on earth? And all throughout, he gives teachings. And these teachings point us in the direction of righteousness, right? To be righteous is to live out the values and the reality of heaven. And so Jesus is showing us, hey, this is the way of righteousness. If you want to know what that looks like, here it is. Let me show you. But in showing us what righteousness is, he's also tearing down and attacking the terrible ideas, unfortunately, that many of the religious leaders in Israel had built up instead. So they had, they had put forward a whole idea system about this is what it means to be righteous. And unfortunately, their idea, their interpretation of the law of what it meant to be righteous was just so far from God's intention and God's heart that when Jesus comes and interprets the law for them, he shows them, hey, we're miles apart in what we understand to be righteousness. So he's giving us one example, but he's also tearing down the negative. And unfortunately, in calling out these these religious leaders for their bad interpretation, he's throwing stones at what they've built. And his biggest complaint, his biggest attack against all of their interpretation is this. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy, and at its very core, it's nothing but exterior. There's nothing in the way that they've interpreted righteousness that actually gets to the root of what makes a person righteous. It's all just exterior stuff. It's all action-based. It's all presentation. And it doesn't have anything to do with what Jesus is pointing us to, which is, no, righteousness is, it comes from within. And so you have to get the heart right before you get anything else. And so Jesus' biggest criticism for these guys is that they're hypocrites, and they're only worried about the exteriors. And so sometimes when we read the Gospels, you can kind of come away from that questioning why they kill him. I mean, think about it. Most of what Jesus does, like, is great stuff. He, he teaches from Scripture in a way that they've never heard before, and the people are drawn to it. He, he feeds people miraculously, like, right? Who doesn't love a free meal? He heals people of their diseases, and he liberates them from spiritual bondage. He's doing all these amazing things. And when you look at that, you can start to wonder, why would you kill somebody for doing this? And if you have any question or doubt about why they killed Jesus, all of that is satisfied when you look at Matthew 23. Let's flip there. See, in Matthew 23... Jesus levies the charges against these guys who have raised up bad teaching that has called people to just worry about the exterior. He, these people have called other people to put their hope and their trust in fluff, in exterior only, and not actually do anything about real righteousness from the heart. And in Matthew 23 is where Jesus just kind of like just goes crazy on the religious leaders. 
and he unpacks towards them all these charges. And listen to what he says. Look at Matthew 23, verse 15, right? And just put yourself in the religious leader's seat for a second. And imagine, at this point, a preacher, a teacher, sitting you down, and here's his sermon for you. Woe to you, teacher of the law and Pharisee, you hypocrite. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Whew. Man, Jesus' church is getting smaller. And then we go down to verse 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Good times, right? So you can imagine the reaction of these guys when Jesus, in front of all the people that they profess to be teachers and leaders of, and Jesus says, man, you're a child of hell. You brood of vipers. Can you imagine if you were to visit Friends Church, right? And I were just to preach that at you. Like, legit, you sit down, I'm like, man, you brood of vipers. How long are you going to escape hell, Dan? Sorry, Dan, you're just sitting right there. Right? So you might come away from that, and you'll be like, yeah, I visited Friends Church this weekend, you know? Donuts and coffee were nice. Uh, The people, super friendly. Uh, Worship was great. You know, the pastor kind of hurt my feelings, though. Called me a child of hell and a viper. But, uh, yeah, maybe I'll come back next week. Right? You can imagine what happens when somebody sits there and bombards you and calls you a, a viper, a child of hell. And, and then in Matthew 23, 24, 25, man, he just keeps it going. And he just unloads the guns on these guys about everything that he sees wrong with who they are and what they believe about God. So much so that after three chapters of this, we get to Matthew 26, after all of this text from Jesus, and Matthew 26, 3 says this, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. And you know why. Jesus was calling out what they were throwing up for people. They were advocating and preaching fluff. And Jesus is like, no, that's hypocrisy. It's nothing but exteriors and presentation, but it has no substance behind that fluff. We look back at Matthew 23, verse 25 through 28. Jesus used this term more so than any other term to call them. It's hypocrites. That term is what he calls them more than anything else in Matthew's gospel. He's trying to make a point. And here's why their exterior-based teaching is hypocrisy. Look at verse 25. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus is saying, man, on the outside looking in, you look good. 
Exteriors alone, you look good. But when you get behind that fake exterior, the foundation is weak. And what you're telling my people to believe and to build their lives upon is not substance. It's fluff. And so the question that, that Jesus gives us this morning as we look at this parable, this parable of the wise and foolish builder, the question that not just they, but you and I also have to answer is this. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be the wise builder who builds on the solid foundation of Jesus' teaching and obedience to it? Or are you going to be the foolish builder who founds their life on fluff? And that's the point of the parable. And that's what we look at this morning. And so as you're thinking about 2020 like everybody else is this week and maybe for the next two and a half weeks, as you're thinking about who you want to be, how you want to grow, where you want to improve, what you want to become, man, I think that, that this is such a fitting passage for us to consider. And it begs the question, are you building your life on the substance of Jesus' teachings or are you building it on fluff? And, the, and the, the truth of it is this. If you're building your life on anything other than Jesus' teaching and obedience to it, I don't care how good it seems, it's fluff. No matter what it is, right? You can eat all the kale you want. You can go to the gym as many times as you want. You can invest in your marriage all you want. You can save for retirement as much as you can. Those are good things. But if those are the foundation of your life, you're building it on nothing but sand. And so my prayer for you, for me, for us as Friends Church is that we would make a decision that not just for the new year, but for every year as we're moving forward in faith, man, we want to dig down and we want to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus' word. And, and we well, not just to read it, but like we're going to look at in a little bit, man, we want to do it too. And that when we build our lives on that foundation, we build on substance, not just on fluff. But for some of us, maybe that you're sitting there and, and New Year's is always a, a time for self-reflection and assessment, right? And for most of us, oftentimes, if you do it, you come away from it with the feeling of, man, I got a lot to fix. And so we set all these ambitious goals for how we're going to change who we are. And so maybe as you hear this, as you consider what Jesus is challenging us with this morning, maybe you realize that you've been choosing foundations that aren't Jesus' teachings. Like maybe he's making the top three, but he hasn't actually become the foundation. Like you toy around with him and his word, you toy around with the idea of obedience, but it's never actually become the bedrock of your life. And one of the problems that you and I face is that choosing fluff, it, it thrives on our self-deception. It thrives on you thinking that you're something other than you really are. And that's why when we look back at Matthew 7, when Jesus gives these words in verse 24, He's building right off of what he just said 
in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And look what he says here. He's giving us an example here of two different disciples, one true and one false. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Can you imagine the level of self-deception that these people are living in? Like to really believe and to have convinced themselves, yes, Jesus is Lord. I call him Lord. Look even, I'm doing all these great things. I'm prophesying in your name. Casting out demons in your name. Have you ever cast out a demon? And yet they come to Jesus fully convinced that they've built their life on substance. And Jesus says, man, get away from me. I never knew you. And the point is, is that you can build your life on fluff, and fluff might seem like the real deal. But that's what self-deception does. It convinces us that we're something that we're not. And we all, to various extents, we all live with self-deception. That's a part of being human. You believe yourself to be something different than you actually are, right? Have you ever accidentally opened your phone? Like, everybody thinks of themselves as being way more attractive than we really are. Can we just be real? And then, like, you open up your phone to take a picture, and then it's accidentally on selfie mode, and you're like, oh, sweet Jesus. I didn't have a chance to put the filter on. I swear I have sparkles. Right? You look at that and you're like, man, that like, kind of gave me a gut check. I'm not who I think I am. I'm not nearly as attractive as I think I am or my wife tells me I am. We live in self-deception. I used to play racquetball like six years ago when I was younger. I used to play racquetball, and I would always play with my two buddies. Josh and Brian. And I never played with anybody else but Josh and Brian. And here's the deal. I'm better than Josh and Brian. <laughs> like, if they, I mean, if they listen to the podcast, it's true, brothers. All right, we would all play together, just the three of us. And we never played racquetball with anybody else. It was just us three. And so I started to believe, after doing this for like a year or two, that I was pretty good at racquetball. Like, I had confidence. I believed myself to be a great racquetball player. And then I'd been at GGC for like maybe a year or two, and Mary Kramer invited me because she plays racquetball. She invited me to come play with like her group of friends at LA Fitness. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to come play racquetball with you guys. Now, here's the thing, guys. I show up. I'm like 26 at the time. I'm in the prime of my life. I'm in the prime of my racquetball career. And I come and I play with Mary and her friends. Now, Mary and her friends are all about my parents' age, okay? So let's be real. I walk into the gym and I kind of scope out the competition. I'm like, like, there's more knee braces than people. You know what I mean? 
I'm like, okay. Check it. I love you, Mary. And so I go, and I'm like, okay, here's my, here's my strategy. I, I don't want to be this young gun that comes in and just, like, trounces these people. I'm going to chill and just kind of like, you know, like, oh, good for you guys. And so we go in there, and, like, the door closes, and I don't know what you guys drink, but it was like tiger's blood, man. Like, they, like, the knee braces give them strength, and they obliterated me like so badly and we come out of the game and I'm like pouring sweat and they're all now of course only four of you play and the rest watch from the giant glass doors so I walk out and I'm like oh jeez and sweet Mary she's like you did good you did good she's like not sweating and I'm like I'm like all over the place and I walk out of there and like everybody there's retired I'm 26. They embarrassed me. I have never played racquetball with Mary and her friends again. Right? I like went out in the parking lot and just threw my racket on the ground. I thought, I genuinely thought I was something that I wasn't. I thought I was a great racquetball player. And Mary and her friends so graciously proved me wrong. But that's what self-deception does. You can think you're something that you're really not. And you can believe that you're building your life on something that you're really not. And Jesus is calling us in this parable, and he's saying, you really need to ask yourself, are you building on the foundation, the bedrock of my teachings, or is it anything else? And the fluff might work for a little bit, you might be able to beat Josh and Brian. It's pretty easy. But eventually, life is going to get difficult. The storms are going to come. The rains are going to come. The rivers are going to flood. And the winds are going to hit. And if you've built your life on fluff, it's going to crash. And so Jesus knows this. He's a master storyteller. Now, where he's, where he's speaking in Galilee... Like, he, does, he doesn't just pick stories that have no connection to the people he's preaching to. And so in Galilee, the people who build houses, they know exactly what he's talking about. In Galilee, there's a lot of riverbeds by the Jordan and the Sea of Galilee. Now, in the summer months, the sand along the shores, it's hard because it's dry. And so a foolish builder would come to that, would look at the sand, and would say, yeah, this is good enough. I'm going to build my house on this sand. But the wise builder knows that when the rainy season comes, that hard sand is going to get washed away in no time flat. See, the sand, it might look solid right now, but there's going to come a season when it's going to be washed away. And so good builders in this time, man, they would have to sometimes dig down seven or ten feet in the sand to get to bedrock. And then the wise builders would build there. And so when the rainy season comes, the sand washes away, but they've built their house on the foundation of the bedrock, and their house is fine. But those people who saw something that on the outside looked good enough 
they quickly realize that what they built their life on can't withstand the trouble. And so Jesus is saying, don't be fooled into thinking that the fluff you're building your life on right now, it might look good right now. It might seem good. But there is going to come a time in your life and in my life when only one foundation is going to hold you up. And it is not your marriage. It is not your retirement. It's not your career. It's not your friendships. It's not your hobbies. It can only be the life that you've built obeying Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to stand. And Jesus, in this parable, begs the question of you and I. Are you going to be the wise builder? Or are you going to be the foolish builder? And my prayer, again, is that we would be people who build our lives on the firm foundation of his teaching. So as we consider this next year, as you make your goals, right, fine, eat kale, go to the gym, save for retirement, invest in your marriage, do all of those things. It's good stuff. Just don't make it the foundation. So my prayer for you is that this year as you're looking at where you want to go, who you want to become, my prayer is that the very first thing on our agenda would be, man, I'm going to get into his word. It's not magic. It's not a secret. It's not hiding from you. It's right in front of us, and Jesus is making it plain. Man, just, it's right here. Would you just spend time in it? Would you just read it? And then, would you just do it? You can't go halfway, because if you notice in the parable, both the wise and the foolish builder hear the word. You catch that? They both hear it. The difference is, what do they do with it? The wise builder puts it into practice. The foolish one hears it and doesn't put it into practice. So don't just read it. I pray you start there. But I pray you finish by putting into practice what Jesus teaches us so that you build your life on the solid substance of his word. Everything else, like the old song says, it's sinking sand. And, and, and here's the other thing, and we'll close with this. This is what else Jesus promises here. You notice that in both instances, wise and foolish, they both hear the word, and they both face storms. The, the rain comes to them both. The rivers flood. The winds come for both of them. I don't know what this year holds in store. I don't even know what tomorrow holds in store for you. It might be a great season of life, and I truly pray for you that it is. But for some of us, maybe even many of us, this year is going to be brutal. And nobody wants to hear that on the first sermon of the year. But this year might be brutal for you. I hope it's not, but it might be. My prayer is no matter what comes your way, good, bad, ugly, that you are being built on the solid foundation.
so that no matter what comes, prosperity or troubles, that your house would stand. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your word. Sometimes your word's tough, Lord. Sometimes it calls us to make decisions and to not try and waver in the middle. And Lord, with this one, there is no middle ground. We're either building on your word as the solid foundation or we're choosing fluff. And Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for myself that we would daily make a decision that we're going to build. We're going to found our lives on substance, the only substance that matters, your word and obedience to it. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, no matter what comes our way this year, no matter what comes our way this week, that we would stand because we've built on the foundation that you've called us to. So I pray for your people, Lord. Motivate us, inspire us, move us in that direction for your glory and for our benefit. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, today we're going to go, instead of our open worship time, we're going to go to a time of communion. And so uh, we're going to enter into this. Uh, Now, there's a couple ways that we practice communion here at Friends. So in the traditional manner of Friends, communion is practiced silently. And so it's used without the elements. And so we believe that, that as God's people, we have the availability of his presence in all places, in all times. And so in the traditional manner of friends, communion is a time of quiet contemplation. And so as we enter into this time, if, if that's the way that you would choose to worship in communion, I pray that you would just stay seated, that you would just embrace the presence of God. That you would reflect on the purpose of communion. Reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus. That he gave his body, he shed his blood, that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might be ransomed from our trespasses, and we might be saved to become his people. Now, if you find the elements helpful in the practice of communion, then you're going to find two pub tables in the back of the room. So during this time, if you would like, man, just make your way to the back. Take the elements and and participate in that individually as you return to your seat. We'll have a few moments of this time, and then I'll come back up and I'll close communion in prayer. But let me pray us into this time. Would you bow your heads with me one more time? Lord Jesus, we remember now the great sacrifice that you made. We remember that you sacrificed everything that we might be forgiven, that we might be ransomed back unto you. So Lord, I pray that as your people, we would never lose sight of the fact that our salvation, our life was purchased at an unfathomable price. And we thank you for that. We never want to lose our appreciation for that. And I pray as we enter into a time of communion,